Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Championed Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. If you have any thoughts or comments on what we should cover in a future episode, let us know. Talk with us on Twitter at, at Cisco Champion. Okay, today we are talking about the Internet of Useful Things and specifically Cisco IT, IoT Control Center, which is a solution for the diverse connectivity needs of IoT applications to walk us through everything you might want to know. We have for you some amazing Cisco champions and a phenomenal Cisco expert, so you know how we roll. Let's get into the introductions. Jonathan, we're going to start with you since you won the ugly Christmas sweater contest today. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me, Amy Lee and the team. It's always good to be on these uh, podcasts with you. Uh, my name is Jonathan Mahadi. I'm a principal network engineer in the mining industry, and uh, my passion is wireless, and I have a flair for IoT, and I'm really excited to talk about this episode today. All right, nice. Len? You're up next. What do you do? Hey, thank you. My name is Lynn Ledford, and I am a solutions architect for Sirium Networks here in the Pacific Northwest. So thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Liam, who Amy are you? Lee. Hello. <laughs> Hello. My name is Liam Keegan. Uh, I run the U.S. operations for 24-7 Networks, Rio Bravo Systems. Uh, my background is uh, uh, technical, uh, so I've been a CCIE for a long time, and I'm kind of interested in this topic because I know next to nothing about it, uh, except we, I, I knew even less about it a year ago when we talked to Ravi uh, about sort of a, a similar topic. So I'm super excited to, to hear about what's changed and what, what he's excited about. So thanks for having me. You're going to learn a lot. We all are. Ravi, thank you for all joining right. us today. Who well, are you, you and what do you do at Cisco? Uh, thank you for having me here, and I'm actually very, very excited to be talking to this uh, wonderful champions, right? So uh, I'm Ravi Guntupali. I'm a group CTO within uh, Cisco, uh, part of the mobility business unit, as we call it. Um, primarily, I focus uh, on working with our service provider and enterprise customers in creating cellular networks, architectures that basically enable them with connectivity services on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Primarily focusing on how do I simplify the complex aspects of 3GPP technology, as we call it, to make it easy to consume. So hopefully uh, by the end of today, uh, Liam will understand everything there is about uh, IoT. So. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe with just with that setup, last year we talked about the, the rise of 5G. I believe it was uh, season nine, episode two, uh, the, the, the rise of 5G and, and IoT devices. And today we're taking a little bit more of a uh, a deeper dive into IoT Control Center, but maybe you could just recap sort of the the 5G in 2022, sort of what the big changes were, and then what you were looking forward to, and what the industry is thinking about in 2023. Maybe just give us a state of the state of the union, as it were. Yeah, yeah. So when we started out like 5G, almost like five years ago now, right? Um, there was a lot of discussion and debate in the world about like you know what is 5G about, right? Um, so Obviously, we completely understand and acknowledge that consumers are going to want 5G, whether it's higher bandwidth, like, you know, driving into their cell phones or uh, some, some other devices in, in the home, right? For example, fixed wireless access. But as we went 
ahead and started peeling the onion of what 5G can actually deliver, it became fairly obvious for us. And the reason we had that conversation last year, uh, Liam, was like, you know, we launched our private 5G network, right? It was primarily focused around enterprises because there's a lot of interest from enterprise customers in understanding what is 5G about. And since we've launched last year, uh, since we've spoken last year, what we are seeing is a lot of growing interest within the enterprises as well as the service provider partners that we closely work with on understanding how do I take this technology, how do I take this 5G as a technology to my enterprise customers in different verticals, right? For example, right, uh, if you talk to Jonathan, he's focused on mining, right? He, he might be asking, what does 5G do for mining industry? Uh, or if I go to a um, General Motors or a Ford or a, one of the car manufacturers, they are asking about what does it do for my EV technology that is coming out in the next phase, right? So all of these enterprises in different verticals are now getting interested in 5G and trying to understand how can they actually consume this capability that is out there without having to understand the complexity and that's what we've been focusing on how do i simplify this network architecture so for example like you know if i if i start throwing in 3gpp jargon here i can talk about like amf smf upf all of these complex functionalities but none of the enterprises really care about it right they're basically saying i, I need connectivity i need to be able to integrate into my business services right so the last one year we've been focusing on how do i make sure that iot can be consumed at mass scale. Because if you start looking at some of the numbers that are being thrown out there by like an analyst like Gartner and whatnot, um, we see a lot of uh, enterprise customers now getting interested, right? Uh, more than 60% of the enterprise customers are interested in doing something about IoT. So how do we make that happen, right? So that's what we've been focused on the last one year, make it super simple to consume. So Ravi, just um, to follow up on that, right? You've mentioned a really key word there, you know, mass scale. Right, you know, when you think about IoT and and the consumption of IoT, you know, is it's becoming more and more prominent as we move, and like the sensors are becoming smaller, um, it's becoming more difficult to manage. Um, how does the uh, IoT center kind of um, support this? Is it like is this like a com a complement of the what we talked on last year? Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, a platform that we are building on top of, right? Because um, when a, you talk about an IoT device. There are use cases where the IoT device, in the example that you just gave, Jonathan, it's becoming smaller, but where does that IoT device actually sit, right? Is it just a, a static device like a water meter that is sitting next to my house every single day and does not move versus that same IoT device could be sitting in a vehicle like a Tesla car and it's actually moving around, right? So from that perspective, we are seeing completely different set of use cases growing. So when we look at IoT Control Center as a platform, today we serve more than 200 million plus devices, right, as part of that platform, right? We see complete different set of use cases coming in. So how do I support that kind of vertical that has a static requirement as well as a mobility requirement? If the device is moving across networks, should the enterprise now figure out, say, oh, it's a mobile device, I need a different platform versus everything goes back into one single control center platform for us. So the enterprise customer, like a car manufacturer, might be manufacturing the car, being able to track that in the factory, but when the car leaves the factory and goes into the consumer network, into the consumer's hands, 
I still have visibility into that car because they need to be able to manage that on a day-to-day basis, right? So that's what Control Center can do. So we're kind of unifying the platform so that the enterprises can consume that on their factory floors into the consumer's hand, being able to do other use cases beyond all of that, right? Uh, so that's what Control Center platform is becoming for us. So, so if I'm a car manufacturer, right, and I have a connected car, so I've got telemetry and you know in-car entertainment or whatever it is that, that's provided off of 5G, and I live in Buffalo, New York, and I get in my car and I drive across the border, right? What is it? So, I mean, obviously, if, if I do that with my cell phone, I might incur huge roaming charges and I wouldn't want to do that on a, my connected car. But what does IoT Control Center do to like simplify that, you know, as these things are all in motion and, you know, people drive to US, Mexico, Canada, between carriers, you know, where I have Verizon service or AT&T service, like what, tell us what IoT Control Center does for that. Yeah, so uh, that, that's an excellent uh, example that you just gave, Liam, right? Because today, if you look at IoT Control Center, we serve about 85 million connected cars, right? Uh, that's it? Uh, uh, that's 85 million <laughs> connected cars, right? So on top of that, now you're talking about the rest of IoT devices as well. So if you look at the US market, like th- the example that you just gave me, right? we 100% expect and anticipate that the vehicle will actually move from US to Canada, right? So in that particular scenario, Control Center is actually offered by two different service providers as a connected service to the car manufacturer, right? Now, the interesting thing there is uh, the authentication system that we have established with these service providers is so simple that as the car moves from the US into the Canadian border, and into the Canadian network, we are now able to bill these devices consumption to two different independent service providers, right? And the other cool thing that we can also do is as a consumer, the roaming example that you just gave, make it seamless for the consumers. If it's a Tesla vehicle that's actually moving from US to Canada, Tesla charges nine bucks to me every month for connectivity. It should be seamless whether I'm connecting from the US or Canada, right? That's something that we can do today as part of Control Center, right? And the other thing I would expand, especially on the connected car uh, kind of uh, scenario is today the, the car has become so complex, right? Um, you have infotainment in the car, you have telematics in the car, I can get software updates for my devices in the car, and I can also have Wi-Fi access in the car. Being able to slice and segment all of these services into different domains, because now the billing has to be different, right? For some, I have to build Tesla, for some, I have to build the end user. So being able to do all of that segmentation is also something that the platform does. doesn't matter where it is. Wow. So I think I read in one of the white papers that we're seeing about 4 million new devices add, added per month. I mean, how are we going to scale this to, say, a billion devices? And most of those devices are moving around, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's an interesting problem for us, right? Because uh, And this is where working very, very closely with the service provider partners is important for us because uh, that problem uh, you just shared, Len, is actually twofold. One, managing and maintaining those devices, lifecycle management on a day-to-day basis, like, you know, activate the device, deactivate the device. Is it connecting? If there's an issue, how do I debug that issue? That's one part of the problem, right? And then there's a second part of the problem, which is the capacity issue, right? Being able to connect a billion devices uh, for IoT through the cellular network is non-trivial. And that's where 5G did a lot of enhancements on the radio technology to be able to add capabilities to support 
massive uh, IoT as an example, right? So that's it. MIoT is a specific term that was introduced in 5G and to be able to address the billion device problem to add additional capacity or segmentation into the radio resources. So I have IoT specific slices. Now, if I go back into the core side, the first problem I was stating is the management aspect of things, right? In that particular scenario, going back to the connected car example again, when a car manufacturer is debugging the system or debugging a car, they don't want to be able to figure out what the identity of that particular device is. All of us as consumers today, we have cell phone numbers, right? And as part of the cell phone numbers, there's a SIM identity that is associated with us, right? But as a connected car, would Tesla, would GM, would Ford, they care about all of these MZ identities? Or do they basically go in and say, I need to be able to do a VIN number because that's what they've been living their life with, right? So that's what they're familiar with. So we have the ability of mapping those devices to a special identity for the enterprises that they run and tie this into their IT and OT operation systems. So they don't see this complexity of the network the identity and all of that stuff, but they see this as doesn't matter where the device is coming from. I know this particular VIN number, I need to do some software update to this or push out a new capability into this because they're purchasing a subscription plan. All of that stuff becomes much more easier for the enterprise customers, right? So we're kind of breaking that uh, into multiple problems, the network problem of capacity aspects and being able to deliver some of this as a uh, service. And second problem is the manageability lifecycle management aspect of the devices to make it super easy for the enterprise customers to deploy these billion devices. Ravi, just to follow up on that as well, um, you know, most of our industries are trying to automate, right? So we're, we're talking about mass scale here. We're talking about introducing new devices. How accessible is the IoT control center from an API level? Like if we're going to automate this, can we access it for using our own tool sets? Like, you know, to spin out our own, you know, workloads across it? Um, what's, fun- what's the functionality? Yeah, I'm glad you used the word mass scale because that is part of the business unit we actually fit in. Uh, mass scale infrastructure group is what we call ourselves uh, because we know that connecting that mass scale of devices is, is the problem set. That's why we've been leading um, most of our integration via APIs, um, right? So, um, Jonathan, like the example that you just gave, right? When the uh, enterprise customer is integrating into their IT, OT systems, we wanted to give them two different options. One, somebody who has like you know uh, a UX level uh, likeness, and they can log into the system, debug the system, run a trace on the device, and all of that stuff. But more than likely, most of the enterprise customers will tell us that, hey, I want to be able to get notifications via an API call. So pretty much everything that we do via Control Center today has ability to be consumed via APIs, and we get more than two billion API calls a month. Right, via both our service provider customers as well as the enterprise customers, right? And they integrate that into their IT, OT systems on a day-to-day basis so that they can basically have a seamless experience without having to figure out, like, you know, is it control center? You, what's the login password versus it's already integrated and I get notifications of this particular experience that the device is getting on a day-to-day basis into my regular ITOT dashboards that I have built as part of the enterprise, right? So pretty much everything that we do uh, in Control Center is exposed by APIs, right? And if I can expand that APIs a little bit more, right? Um, On the APIs, this ability to, for example, activate, deactivate devices, right? If I decide to sell my car tomorrow 
and transfer that ownership from me to someone else, right? And that person does not buy a subscription for a connection through that uh, car manufacturer. They can go in and deactivate the identity of that particular device, right? And that can be done by an API call because now I hand over my uh, like title and everything back to the company or someone else, and they are able to do that through an API call saying, hey, this device is no longer uh, Ravi's device, somebody else's, so deactivate it, right? Or they can go in and say, Ravi just purchased a new subscription plan that has YouTube capability in his vehicle. I need to be able to apply a different quality of service. I need to be able to move Ravi's device from just a telematics monitoring device to a device that has higher bandwidth experience service. And they can do that by just an API call to say, assign this device to a different cost profile. One of the things that, that we, I mean, obviously, anytime I can plug the, the DevNet sandboxes and the DevNet side of the house, I always do. So, you know, for anybody listening, you can go into DevNet Sandbox and get your own login to IoT Control Center, right, which is a hosted SaaS solution, right? So it's, it's, it's all, you don't need to set anything up. It's not ISOs. It's not anything. But what, what you, you made a comment during the, the prep call that I thought was really interesting that, you know, in the, in the DevNet sandbox, there, have, there, there are a certain amount of APIs that have been exposed, like to create a new customer and to assign a device, right? But, but the, the amount of, of APIs that you actually have is significantly more than what's, what's there in, in DevNet. Can you just maybe expand sure. on that a little bit? Yeah. So on DevNet itself, if you go in and look at the, th thanks for the plug, Liam, right? So uh, like uh, on the DevNet itself, you'll have ability to do some basic functionality just to get a hands-on experience on how those API experiences look like, primarily from activate device, move device kind of a thing, right? But when you actually go into the full-fledged capability of uh, the APIs that we expose, we do have ability to uh, notify, like, for example, if something is going wrong with the device. Uh, to give an example, right? When um, COVID hit, um, like I said, we have like 85 million connected cars. One of the first triggers for us was all these vehicles that used to move around are staying home. That was a trigger, right? So that was an API call that we were able to identify and basically trigger notifications back to our service providers saying something's wrong. Obviously, like, you know, COVID lockdowns uh, are eventually the root cause for that. But at least we were able to trigger that as an API call to say something is wrong. So we have an analytics engine behind that, right? So those are APIs that are not published on DevNet today. Uh, the other capabilities that we have is being able to trigger SMS messages for the device to say, hey, wake up the device because some of the smart meters Ideally, they should be waking up every one month or whenever they, they need to start reporting the usage. That, that's when they need to wake up. But if I want to push a firmware update to the car, I need to wake up the device. So I can actually trigger SMS notifications to the device to wake up the device and then push out notifications. Right. So those are all capabilities that we have. And it's thousands of APIs that we have in the system. And the beauty of that, um, uh, Liam and uh, team, is that Every enterprise uses these APIs differently, and we are surprised how they consume these APIs, right? When we started publishing this, there's so many requests that come back and saying, hey, can you do this? Can you do that, right? So we are very, very excited to actually publish those APIs because that's where we believe tomorrow we can actually go towards this ubiquitous platform for us as control center where it shouldn't matter where the device is coming from, whether it's coming from Wi-Fi, whether it's coming from cellular, 
whether it is coming from Canada or US, a single API basically has the same access and experience for the enterprise customers. So with all these APIs being exposed, is there any potential for developers to engage with this application to bring something new? Uh, and that's what we really want, Len, right? So that's where we want the developer community to work with us. And uh, we we have what we call a marketplace uh, that we're working on where, because uh, when, when you look at how the technology evolves for us, right? Obviously we've created 4G what, what, 10, 11 years ago. We've created 5G five years ago. It's just maturing. But the killer apps for 5G are yet to come. That's where we are hoping that the development community looks at this and says, okay, here's a set of APIs I can use from Cisco and build a new set of applications. We are waiting for that next set of, like, you know, uh, for a plug, I guess, but uh, next set of Ubers to come out, right? Who are those uh, brand new kids out there developing those APIs and functions that, that need to be deployed on 5G yet to come out, right? Um, and on top of that, the way we see this marketplace evolving is um, the developer community need to uh, actually consume these, build the set of uh, uh, applications on top of it. But more importantly, we want to enable our service provider customers as well, right? Because we are actually providing this on top of cellular connectivity for the likes of AT&T, uh, T-Mobile, and others in the U.S. and globally as well, right? We have what, about 50 different service providers that we have right now. And all of those service providers have their own capabilities that they want us to uh, provide via these APIs. So everything is getting exposed right now. So one of the things that I learned last year when we were talking, which I think is still about the coolest thing that's out there, is the m2m.com, m, the number two, m.com marketplace, right? Which if if you go to the website, you can pick your country and go to the providers that are uh, control center providers. And basically, like for instance, I'm on AT&T's website, you can go order IoT SIMs, you know, delivered on the control center platform. And the 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 shocking piece to me is like, if, if you want to get, I'm, I'm just pulling up one of the IoT data plans here in the United States for, for every 30 days for 500 kilobytes of data, so half a meg, uh, it's 99 cents, right? So this is not something where it's like, Oh, I need to spend forty or fifty or sixty dollars to be able to, you know, start putting IoT and five G can or put five G connectivity in these devices. It's it's, you know, especially if you're not using much data. Like the price points are unbelievably low, and I'm I'm sure that this is like you know the the retail version. Like I'm sure the wholesalers are you know, <laughs> not not paying that. Now I'm glad you mentioned m2m.com, and this is where Liam. I guess I guess you you've been researching this quite a bit, so thank you for that. So I tried to do yeah, my homework. Yeah, there you go. So uh, m2m.com has been fantastic for a lot of enterprises, right? Because a lot of those enterprises want to try it out before they actually go all in, right? So yes, like you know, they, they might have a use case that requires a million devices to be deployed, but they want to get a feel of how things work, and that's one of the reasons we created those starter kits working with the service providers. So it becomes easy for the enterprises to understand what they are getting on a day-to-day basis. And like even within private 5G, right, there's uh, capabilities of uh, starter kits that we are actually building. Because at the end of the day, the way we see this is like, you know, connectivity is just the first hurdle, right, of overcoming, right? So, and that's something that we've taken out of the equation using control center, because now the true value of IoT devices is the value creation on top of that, right? So. Connectivity is done. What's next? Create that additional value. And that's what the enterprises are really, really good at doing. 
We've taken the complexity of the connection out of the equation uh, through control center. Now we are expecting and looking forward for the enterprise customers to do amazing things on top of this. So Ravi, just thinking about, you know, I'm a wireless note, right? So <clears throat> I spent most of the yesterday arguing about semantics of antenna design and stuff yesterday. But uh, <laughs> obviously, um, so for Wi-Fi, uh, you know, Wi-Fi 6, Wi-Fi 7, Wi-Fi 8, as we move forward, you know, the, the whole telco in- industry and the traditional enterprise environment and everything else are kind of converging, right? They're like, there's more cross compatibility. Um, we've got like a whole uh, framework around I- IoT for the home, you know, matter. I'm sure some of us might have heard of that um, using Thread. Um, what does that mean? I, I mean, for me, I'm very excited about this. Is, this is like something that I'm, I'm going to really enjoy moving forward. But what, what does that mean for you and your team and uh, IoT Control Center? Yeah, and this is where I believe Cisco has a leg up, right? An advantage uh, that we have is we in the industry today stand at a place where we offer Wi-Fi solutions and cellular solutions, right? And we've been working very, very closely internally to make sure that these platforms can interwork with each other, whether you're consuming your IoT device via Meraki Wi-Fi or the Cisco control center, the experience needs to be the same, right? How do we actually bridge the gap between these two technologies, right? So that's something that we've been working on internally. Now, when it comes to something like Matter, right? So I'm, I'm a Z-Wave guy, by the way, right? So everything in my house is Z-Wave. So uh, I'm, 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 I, you know, I, I hate it and I love it, right? So um, now I'm kind of hoping that like, you know, my devices get upgraded towards Matter whenever uh, it becomes formalized. But the challenge with Matter is now it's the last mile technology, right? Within the home, I, ha- I have to use Matter. But when I use Matter or other protocols, if I have a hub or something like in the house, that hub could become my anchor point through a Wi-Fi or or a cellular network. A great example for me in my house is uh, I have an alarm monitoring system that basically connects to my Wi-Fi at home and has a backup connection on AT&T as a cellular network. But when Alarm.com manages some of that stuff, for them, they just see the alarm identity they don't care about whether it's connecting via Wi-Fi or cellular. We made that integration easier for them, right? So that's what we've been focusing on. And the other thing that we've also looked at is how do I make sure that when you as a customer basically deploy a policy for a device, right? It shouldn't matter where the device is coming from. You should be able to apply that policy consistently uh, and in a manner that you understand, whether it is bandwidth, whether it is security policy, you apply that policy once, and it's on us, Cisco, to figure out whether the device is connecting from Wi-Fi or cellular and translate that policy to the appropriate technology because the technology policy is different, but we actually do the translation in the back end. So you define policy once, we take care of translating that based on where the device is coming from and who the device is. So, so, so you're saying that like control center can actually, I mean, the, the, the cellular side of it, I think I, I get, but, but you're saying that like if, if an organization is using control center for things that could be Wi-Fi and 5G, that it could also, like if it's Meraki wireless, that it could, control center could go reach into the Meraki environment and then provision basically the the the, the, the Meraki version of the policy. We're not as much doing the provisioning into the Meraki version via control center, but there's commonality between these two, right? So we have oh, okay. a solution called ICE, if you're familiar with Cisco oh, Identity absolutely. Services Engine. <laughs> Right? So, you're talking to network engineers, Ravi. Oh, yeah, there yeah. you go. Fantastic. <laughs> so everybody's excited when they hear the word ICE, right? So no, I never heard of it. 
<laughs> so internally speaking, right? So for us, that ICE became that glue for us, right? Because most of you guys have been defining the policy in ICE on a day-to-day -day basis. So now we are saying, you know what? As control center, I can go deep into ICE and get the policy. As Meraki, I can go deep into ICE as, as the policy, right? Now we are expanding the capabilities of ICE going into the future to make ICE become that uh, single place where you define not just the cross policy, experience policy, but also the security policy, right? It becomes that one single place you define, and we want to be able to tie that into the extended Cisco portfolio of security as well, so it becomes seamless for you, right? You, don't, you shouldn't have to go figure out, like, you know, uh, what is the policy for 3GPP network versus what's the policy for Wi-Fi, whether it is Ravi's laptop or Liam's laptop, like, what's the policy, right? So all of that becomes defined as a group of profile, and we retrieve that policy from the backend. So Ravi, I want to make sure I understand. So I have an existing brownfield network that's using every technology since 1970 that's out there on the market. And we have a path to be able to slowly bring in this brand new 5G stuff and, and make all this work together. And that is exactly where we've been focusing on for the last year. So to answer Liam's question as like, what, what has Cisco been up to since the last time we uh, spoke? That's been a key area of investment from our side, right? To make sure that the 5G networks, the brand new networks that we are building, do not become islands by themselves, but seamlessly work with existing infrastructure, existing technology, right? That way, as you start migrating some devices, or you might actually have these two different network architectures running in parallel for eternity, right? We do anticipate that for some use cases, Wi-Fi is perfect. So you leave Wi-Fi as is and add on 5G just as an extension to uh, Wi-Fi, right? So how do we bring these two pieces together? And then eventually every packet has to go into a wired line as well, right? So it has to traverse Ethernet or some other packets or routing infrastructure. How do we apply the policy as these packets leave the wireless network into the regular domain? And how do we apply policy across all of that stuff as well? Can, can I just maybe pivot for a second? Because I know we've been talking about a lot about like connected cars, you know, you're in your Tesla driving around, right? So what about private 5G? Like where maybe it's not one of the big players that, that like uh, AT&T or somebody that's, that's providing that service. Where is private 5G used compared to public 5G? And like, why would an organization need that? And then, then how would like Control Center help them manage that yeah and uh, this is where private 5g has uh two different flavors liam right so there is a private 5g flavor where you get your own spectrum um if let's say for example in germany enterprises have access to their own spectrum the government mandated that and they said hey look you know you can have your own spectrum independent of the service provider you can go build your own network to a certain extent right so in those particular scenarios uh, it becomes a, an architecture where they can consume and deploy this in their factory floor by themselves right whereas there's uh, countries like us canada for example cbrs is what we call a shared spectrum where some of the spectrum is available directly to enterprises on a first-come, first-served basis. But if you want additional bandwidth, you are working with a service provider like Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile in the U.S. and expanding that capability, right? So that's where the uh, having control center becomes a, a glue for us towards the enterprise customers because now if they build out, on a factory floor, let's go back to the EV manufacturer, right? So let's say uh, a EV manufacturer is building a brand new factory. 
and they are now wanting to figure out whether they should deploy Wi-Fi or private 5G in there, right? They can actually do both. And when that vehicle actually leaves the facility from the private 5G, then it gets connected to a service provider macro network. So that macro network partner could build their private 5G network by, uh, for the enterprise customer. And this is where the definition of private 5G is very important, right? Uh, where it is essentially a dedicated network for that particular enterprise on their factory floor or on their campus network as it stands. But they do have the ability of allowing a consumer device to connect back into that network. And we authenticate everything via control center so it becomes a seamless experience where the device is connecting from a private network, macro network, all of that comes back into one single place for us so we can authenticate that. So, so if I if I try to like distill that a bit, so you know, like when I think about being a network engineer and people consuming the service, right? Like, or it's like a carriage service, like a critical utility service, right? It's no different to electricity or you know, hot water, cold water. Um, people don't really care how the blue thing works or what's involved in there. They just want the service. So this, we're we're simplifying that um, management and monitoring of it, right? Yep. Yeah, essentially take away that, like, you know, I'm glad you used the water as an ex uh, example there, uh, Jonathan, because uh, essentially the plumbing, right, the plumbing aspect is what we're taking away from this equation, right? Now, the plumbing of the device, IoT device, wherever it's coming from, back all the way into the application, what lies in between, that's been the hurdle, honestly, in our opinion, of increasing the consumption of IoT devices in a cellular network. We're taking making that super easy so that like you know now you focus as an enterprise customer or an application developer i don't have to worry about the connectivity aspect cisco's got that handled let's go focus on developing the applications let's go focus on addressing the actual end customer use cases what would be the best way if if somebody wanted to try out control center or, or work on their iot solutions I mean, would you just drive people towards the marketplace I would say let's start with the m2m.com, right? That's that's perfect place to actually try it out. Like, and obviously, DevNet is something that we spoke about. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, you order your own SIMs, work with, like, you know, whoever that service provider is, to, to your uh, prior example, Liam, right? It's easy to get a 10 SIM, like, starter kit that you can actually bring into your environment, start playing with it and figure out how that connectivity experience looks like. You get full access into the control center APIs. You get access into the user experience. You can log in and see what happens. You can actually go in and define a role for your internal teams, right? You can have an IT administrator have very specific access to the system versus a business person in the company just get dashboards and visibility into that, right? So I would say the best place for us uh, to start would be the m2m.com side so that they can go and try it out, get a feel of how control center works and. Um, again, it works across multiple countries. Uh, 50 plus service providers all offer this today. So it doesn't matter where you're listening this uh, uh, podcast from. So you are able to try it out in different countries. And so Ravi, it looks like it comes with some trial SIM cards. You get data, you get access to all the APIs, and then you get full access to Control Center, right? That is correct. So you get full access to Control Center, correct. And so then if we take this and we move this proof of value then onto a paid paid engagement, we would just take what we started and just move it forward, would that be? Correct, correct. And and again, this is where, depending upon who the service provider you choose from might have a slightly different variation of the plan, right? So some service providers tend to say, hey, look, after you consume these devices for like 
30 days, we will convert that to a paid plan automatically. Or there are some uh, service providers that actually put bandwidth limitations on it to say, after you consume about one meg of data, we would convert you into a paid plan, right? So all of that is actually done in the backend automatically uh, within the system, depending upon which service provider you would choose when you order from in m2m.com. Excellent. So one of the things I, I just wanted to kind of highlight as well, right? So like when you look at the set of use cases, like uh, Jonathan, you mentioned mining as an example, right? So mining is obviously a critical area for us, right? Because we believe this is where the next set of application developers will actually start looking at control center as a platform rather than just a network technology, right? Um, mining uh, the challenge, of course, Jonathan, uh, I think we discussed in the last call, right? If one of your machines fails, it's essentially mission critical for you, right? It's essentially something that will stop the entire mine from functioning. And we have the same issues that we deal with on the manufacturing side of things as well, right? If, if a, a robot actually goes off track because it lost connectivity on the factory floor and AGV goes off track, it could disrupt the factory automation, right? So... One of the things that we've been spending a lot of time on is being able to stand behind the SLAs, being able to stand behind how we actually monitor this network on a day-to-day -day basis, being able to support this as a 24-7 available network. And that's where we have dedicated resources that are working in the background to make sure Control Center, as well as the network that the service provider partners provide for you guys, actually works consistently. And if it is not, you'll get notifications via these API triggers, right? That, that's a really, really important um, point, and I uh, apologies, I probably should have brought it up previously, but, um, you know, like from a mining industry perspective, and I'm sure from many other industries, like deterministic networks are really important, right? We need to know what's going on to be able to resolve things quickly, right? And it needs to be as easy as possible to manage and maintain. Um, uh, yeah, it's an interesting topic, and not probably a little bit, <laughs> you can go into this all day, but no, 100%, I totally agree. And as we diversify into... Uh, you know, newer technologies like 5G, low, low satellite or, uh, orbit comms and, and, and so on and so forth. Like, having that pane of glass, I, I hate using that word, but having that pane of glass to be able to configure and manage is extremely important, absolutely. No, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, the, there, there you go. There's the next topic for us, Emily, the deterministic networks, right? So, uh, the, like, you know, th that's definitely an area of focus for us internally within Cisco, right? Because when we as a brand, as Cisco, stand behind this, we need to be able to actually deliver this in a consistent manner, keep the experience equivalent to you, doesn't matter where you're coming from, but be able to stand behind a solution that we know you're running mission-critical applications on. All right. Excellent. Ravi, any final thoughts or were those your final thoughts before we close today? Uh, I would say like, you know, th thanks to uh, Liam, Jonathan and Len for keeping this very interactive for all the interesting questions. And Liam, thanks for reminding me of m2m.com. And that's, that's what I would say, right? You know, there are a lot of capabilities that we don't know out there that haven't been invented out there, right? We, what we wanted to do was remove that connectivity barrier so that the billion device Thing that we've been talking about for a long time becomes a reality. So we build the platform. Now we are looking for the next set of applications to consume this. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, another great episode on the books. To our listeners, if you want to continue your learning on today's topic, check out the links provided in the show notes below. And of course, I have to remind you before we close, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening in. See you again next week.